It is incredibly quiet in here this morning. I don't know if it's just me or I don't hear. I don't hear the blowers. I don't hear. I think that's what it is. It just seems like things are are really peaceful. Makes me want to go sleep. <laughs> Brad, could you talk to me for a couple minutes? No. <laughs> I thought if I you wake me up, revive me. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, you misread that. No, you didn't. But it's. <laughs> We've been in the book of Acts, and we'll continue to be there uh, today. <coughs> uh, we went through, in chapter 16, we talked about the conversion of Lydia last week and the what it meant for the establishing of the church, the first church in Europe, and the establishing of the church in Philippi. And um, this week, we're going to continue reading about what took place um, as they went about their ministry and uh, what what happened starting in verse 16 and moving forward and how Paul and Silas wound up in prison and uh, just exactly what what happened when they did um, this is this is another one of my favorite accounts here and uh, we'll continue to to read through and, and discuss it here. Uh, because I want sometimes when I read through this, I fail to, to to make the realization that all of this is happening in the same general location. And first, we had uh, Paul and Silas and them going to the place of prayer outside the city, and and the, we experienced the the uh, the conversion of Lydia. But now we find that they are are continuing to go back there. And as they do, they meet this girl, this, this slave girl, who is possessed by a spirit. And I'm sure we've all read this account at least once or twice um, in, our, in our walk. Uh, but it, it never, never ceases to amaze me um, when I read accounts like this. I remember we were talking about, about demons once in here uh, briefly. And I don't know if you recall or not, but LD was sitting over there, and he looked up. He looked up at me, and he said, "He says, do, do you believe this?" And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Do you really believe this, demons and possessions and all that?" And I didn't know where he was going. I said, "Well, LD, I mean, the Bible says it. I don't. I don't have a choice." He said, "Exactly." <laughs> and I thought, okay, <laughs> because I guess it's one of those things that people sit back and they they go, well, is this something that can really happen? I've never experienced it, and you you maybe have some doubts about it uh, about it existing, but the scripture tells us about it. We know it's real, and Paul and Silas here experienced it firsthand by this girl who was following them around. So let's go ahead and start reading this morning and see where the discussion takes us. In verse 16 of chapter 16, it says, as they were going to the place of prayer, which if you remember was out by the river where they met Lydia, it says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, that's what this particular translation says. There's probably similar terms in others. Exasperated. Exasperated. <coughs> What's that? Aggravated. Aggravated. 
turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So here is this slave girl. And, and, and get this picture, I guess, as they're walking through town and they're going to a place of prayer. Again, several days of having this slave girl walk behind you and announce who you are and what you're doing can become somewhat trying. Why is it a problem that she's announcing the truth? Why is this an issue? Why would, why would you care? I mean, are you not servants of the Most High God? And are you not there to, to proclaim to you the way of salvation? I guess in a mocking way, not, not just like, hey, right, come listen. Yeah, I wish we could get inflection from this. Yeah, I, I do wish we could get inflection from this. I guess if she was interrupting her, you know, their message, you know, they're trying to say, or the people they're trying to interact with, Oh, we could probably get a little annoying. <laughs> yeah, it could get a little annoying. And, and, and I think you, you all have a point on, on all those. But, but also think about what, what do we know about her? She's, she's possessed. She's, she has a spirit that is, that is fortune-telling or giving the future. And there's people making money off of this. Is that the kind of person you want to be identified with telling this type of message? <clears throat> I mean, if you think about it, the devil will tell you whatever he thinks you need to hear in order to do damage. He'll tell you the truth or he'll tell you a lie. And the problem with the devil speaking or one of his demons speaking the truth is that you also don't know later on when they speak a lie. And so this is potentially damaging. This is potentially a very bad thing for them, especially if people are, are aware of who she is and what she's doing and the fact that she has a spirit uh, possessing her. <clears throat> it, it, it astounds me that the scriptures tell us that they were as patient as they were and allowed this to go on for as long as it seems as though it did. I mean, you're, you're there to, to show people and to convert people and deliver the message of Christ, and that's a wonderful thing. And this slave girl, I have to think, like you said, Dave, she's probably a bit of a mocking tone. But even if it's not a bit of a mocking tone, um, this is something that is drawing unnecessary attention because... If you're going around preaching the gospel and this person that they've seen in town and they know is a fortune teller is going around saying, basically validating you, then you're, you're guilty by association, whether you want to be or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing, isn't it, Jim? If they were, if they allowed her to do that for several days, how much money were they making from her those days? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Is it, it maybe it may be like the people we see holding signs out in front of the stores? 
a lot of times they're just paid to stand there. Yeah, they, they don't even shop there, but, they, but they're being paid to stand there. Maybe somebody was financing this whole endeavor to put a bet. We don't know that. But, but certainly you, you get that guilt by association and that it can't be a positive thing. <coughs> and so... National Enquirer do a story on your VBS. Mm. Mm. The fact that they did the story, a lot of people just would not show up. Exactly, yeah. There's people that don't want to be either. You just changed my whole image of this when you said prancing. <laughs> That's okay. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. Because I, when I read this, one of the first things I, I, I tend to see her kind of droning, you know, and, 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 and announcing this as she walks, but she could have been, you know, she could have been shouting like a, um, like well, like she was possessed. <laughs> it's it's quite possible. Yeah, that's a whole different picture. But you're right. There are people there who want them gone. There are people there who do don't want them doing what they're what they're there to do and establishing a church and converting people and going to the place of prayer. <coughs> and so it it definitely can add a, a negative uh, connection to what they're trying to say. So in verse 19, we find out what happens. It says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So they, not only did they command the demon to leave her, the spirit to leave her, um, but in the process of doing so, it completely took away her owner's ability to make money off of her because she no longer had the spirit of divination. She could no longer uh, speak for the spirit. And it <coughs> it really puts paints a picture of the situation that she was in. She, she not only did not have freedom, but any money that she made didn't belong to her. It went to her owners. And now she's useless to them. And there's one thing that is not told in the account here as to whether or not she became a believer as a result of what took place. We don't know, but we do know that it's sandwiched between Lydia being converted and the jailer being converted. And so a lot of scholars kind of use that to say, well, this is a stream of discussions of them doing things that converted people. And so the thought is that she perhaps was converted as well. We don't know that. We don't have any way of, of knowing, but um, you would think and hope that, that, she, that she was, <clears throat> that she did come to know Christ through that process. But he cast out the spirit and they dragged Paul and Silas before the rulers says in verse 20, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So you got to remember that religion could only be practiced in Rome if it was approved and if it did not do anything against the government. There were certain guidelines and restrictions to allow you to uh, to 
to follow your customs and follow your your beliefs. And so they drag these these men before the magistrates and they start laying a claim against them for what they're doing. And the magistrates at the time, they carried bundles of rods. And that's how you could you could actually pick them out in the crowd. And those rods were literally there for, for punishment to use to beat people with. And so in this instance, that's what winds up happening. It says the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So keep keep this in mind as well. Obviously, when they say inner prison, there's it, it brings to mind this picture of a, of a building or a, a, a structure that has multiple rooms in it to some extent. And this is the most secure. This is the one that's in the center. This is the one that they don't, they, you're not going to easily escape from this inner prison that they have thrown them into. Now, we know, if we've read this before, that as the fact that they are Roman citizens, Paul and Silas do not use that at this time. They would have the opportunity, as they are being dragged away, to just simply claim that they are Roman citizens to avoid this punishment, and then they would have to go through a process to determine whether or not they would be punished. But as they have been mistaken as some as, as a couple of folks who are not Roman citizens, they go ahead and they start beating them, and Paul and Silas take the beating that's coming to them. <clears throat> and they throw them into the inner prison. So we have this whole thing that's starting to unfold. And again, I want you to keep in mind, they have been beaten. They have been stripped. They've been dragged around. And that very night, it tells us in verse 25, that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. After going through all this that they went through, the scripture doesn't tell us that they were moaning, that they were mad, that they were upset, that they were plotting how to overthrow the government. None of these things come, come to mind as we read this. It tells us that they are praying and singing hymns to God. How in the world? I have difficulty on an average day of being able sometimes in the midst of all of the little struggles and trials that go on of finding the inner peace and joy to sing praises to God in the midst of things that are not causing me physical harm. And these guys probably have, well, we know they do. They have open wounds. And they are sitting in a jail cell at midnight praying and singing praises and hymns to God. There is such a lesson there to that. When, how can you be thankful after you have just been beaten and thrown in prison? What an attitude. I mean, if, if this is a picture of how Christians are supposed to look, to, look in, in, as they go about their daily lives, how many of us fit this mold? I don't. I do not. <coughs> 
but we know that the other prisoners were listening to them. In verse 26, it says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28 says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Now, think about this for just a second. Where does he live? That's a question that comes up occasionally when you read this account. What, where must the jailer have actually lived in order for all this to happen in this short period of time? Jail. The jail. Yeah, and it, it was not uncommon uh, for there to be living quarters above the jail or adjacent to the jail for the, the guards to live in. And so, yeah, he was, he was right there and his family was right there. And so they were able for them to, to immediately act upon the fact that they were witness to, they, they believed. And then in, it says at um, verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once he and all his family. Now, I don't know where they got the water to baptize him. I don't know how that worked. I have no idea. That's another question that comes up periodically is, well, if, if they were at the jail, uh, was there a stream nearby? Was there a bathtub? Was there, Who cares? <laughs> Scripture tells us he was baptized. Hopefully not a latrine. Hopefully not a latrine. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Changing, changing my whole mental picture of the story. <laughs> you go back here and sit with Crystal. No, it's <laughs> uh, sorry, Crystal. Okay. I, I would expect prancing anyway. I would like a jester. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's probably more accurate than mine. I had like a zombieish picture, you know. So. <laughs> uh, so the whole household then has been saved and baptized, he's been baptized. And, and of course the picture here is that he washed their wounds and his sins were washed away. So it's a, it's a great picture of the, the two of them ministering to each other. And think about how his entire life changed when he became saved. He went from a man who was there to guard the prisoners and was about to commit suicide because he thought the prisoners had escaped to someone who was ministering to these prisoners and washing their wounds and tending to them and taking care of them and then bringing the gospel into his household so that his household may also become saved and may believe in God. And That's the power, though. It is, isn't it? That's where the seeds planted. It's tremendous. It's a tremendous picture. 
And so, so I understand why scholars like to look at this whole account for what took place in Philippi. They like to say, we had a businesswoman who was praying by the river, who was seeking God, but did not really know who God is. And when Paul started to have a conversation with her, her heart was opened and she became saved. Then we have this slave girl. Let's assume for a moment that she is saved and get this picture that scholars put together. A slave girl who had no identity of her own, who was unable to have any freedom, who was possessed. And now if, if she has realized the gospel, then perhaps she too is saved. And now we have a jailer whose job it was to do whatever he needed to do to keep the prisoners in prison. And imagine that job. And at the end of all these three accounts, you, you potentially have three people now who have something in common and who would potentially go to Lydia's house and meet at church and fellowship together, whereas before they would not have potentially had any contact with one another and lived in all different worlds. And there's a wonderful picture here of how the gospel takes people from different situations and experiences and places in their lives and brings them together to share something incredibly wonderful. I mean, you look at all of us sitting here. Yeah, we have a lot in common. A lot of us are from the area. We're from Bellevue. Some of us were born and raised here. Some of us went to school together. Some of us never met each other until we had the opportunity to come into this church. And we're from different circumstances, different backgrounds. Some of us have, have, have attended other churches, been part of other um, denominations. Some of us were completely unchurched before we got here. But regardless, we all still now, we have Christ in common. And we have this thread that binds us all together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so not only does, does the gospel provide that path to salvation for us, but it provides a, a, a means of fellowship, a means of supporting one another, of, of being able to, to relate to one another on a level that before we didn't have. And it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful thing to watch this, <coughs> watch this unfold. Again, I don't, I don't want to say that, that, that the slave girl was, um, I don't want to add something that's not here, but it's, but it's a neat thing to think that now all of them could be fellowshipping together, whereas before her life was, I'm just going to go around and, 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 and do what these guys tell me to do. And the jailer... You know, he he went to work day after day after day and did his thing. And, and now suddenly there's purpose. Suddenly there's meaning. You know, we, we've spent the last three weeks on Wednesday night going through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to get depressed, you can get there pretty quickly reading Ecclesiastes. If you if you don't understand the underlying meaning behind what what's being said in the scriptures. But when you do, and you come to that understanding that if you've been living your life strictly to find meaning in your daily grind, you never will. You only find meaning through Christ. You only find meaning through an understanding of who God is and looking beyond what is under the sun. And these are people who 
were living their lives under the sun. And now after meeting Paul and Silas, they have a, this, this awakening of what's above the sun. The last two verses of Ecclesiastes, it it, it does, yeah. Yeah, we, when we finished it up on Wednesday night, I said, now who thinks that, that uh, let's assume Solomon wrote, wrote Ecclesiastes, most people think that either he did or it was someone writing it from his point of view. Let's, let's, uh, let's assume that he wrote it. How many of you think that Solomon could have just written chapter one and then took the last two verses and tacked them onto the bottom and it would have been, been done? Yeah, but instead we had 12, 12 chapters of this is meaningless, this is meaningless, this is meaningless. <coughs> being born until oh yeah I mean we you know you, you read through that and you come to the realization so quickly that okay it would have been better if it's better to not be born than it is to, to be born and to experience life and die it's useless to work for things because you're going to get them earn them and then die and somebody else gets to play with your toys it's you know it. <laughs> I mean, you can just go on and on and on and on, and there's so much, for lack of a better term, droning on and on about how, how useless. But if you think about it, he covers every situation. I mean, really, he covers every situation. He even talks about farmers. You know, you can even get that out of Ecclesiastes. I'm not trying to do a lesson on Ecclesiastes here, but, but it's interesting how he covers every potential mindset, um, career. I mean, you can, you just name it. If you're doing it, it's, it's there. And you can find the author of Ecclesiastes telling you that well, what you're doing is worthless and you better realize it and wake up. And, uh, we, you know, cause the, the line about farmers, I, I'll paraphrase it, but it's, it was something along the lines of, uh, if you, it, he who watches the, watches, watches the sky will never harvest or, who, who watches the wind will never sow. The, the general meaning there is that if you wait for the absolute perfect time to plant your crops and apply that to everything in life, not just farming, or you wait for the absolute perfect time to try to harvest, then you'll do nothing. You'll just sit around and you'll always be able to find a reason why now's just not a good time. And people, people use that in ministry. They use that in everything in their lives to say it's, it's an excuse to procrastinate. You find a, a reason why we shouldn't move forward and, and apply that to what we see here. Paul and Silas didn't look for reasons to not do things. They were so committed to their calling from God that you couldn't stop them. You could beat them and throw them in jail with open wounds, and they're still going to sing praises and convert the jailer. They're going to win because they're going to remain true to their calling and do what they have been called to do. And it's pretty cool. Comments? I one. Yeah. Uh, I came across this. In my reading this week, it's Second Corinthians eleven twenty-four. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the open sea. 
Um, so it goes on to list some of the other stuff that he did, but I was thinking uh, the beaten with rods, you know, we just talked about one. One, yeah. He's saying that it happened three different times, and that didn't even count the five times I received 40 straights minus one. Yeah. I don't exactly understand why it's 40 minus one. Yeah, I, 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 do you know, Mary? Yeah, because I said if you get 40 stripes, you get you, you, it will kill you, and you keep it to 39. That's the way it was with Jesus, and so forth. There's another question I want to ask. Is most Bibles, the modern translations, in 31, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the newer translations leave that out. And Christ was a sign of the Messianic, or was Messiah that was coming in the Jewish thing? That's my opinion. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure what, how they arrive at that. Uh, well, I know what they would say. They would say, "Well, we went back to the the transcripts and decided that this was the most accurate, and that and that at some point Christ had the word Christ had been added, and so on." I, you know, who knows? But but your point's well taken. Um, that that it had that it that it has meaning. And that yes, most of the modern translations just say Lord Jesus. Yeah, yeah they don't say Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> and I think it's important too, obviously, to say that there are folks who, although I know none of you here would think that, but there are folks who say that well, how could his household be saved just because he was saved? And obviously the, the, the connotation there is, if you believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And the same is true for your household. If they believe on the Lord Jesus, they too will be saved. And so then we find that he went on and did that. But you're right, Paul went through so much. Um, he, does, is that also where it talks about how he was, trying to remember where it's at. He does, he does quote, that he was treated unfairly in Philippi or un, um, there's somewhere, it may even be later in Acts. I'm trying to remember where it's at. But he, he refers to this time that he was beaten unfairly and, and, and was not treated as a Roman citizen should have been treated. And he makes reference to that. But there's a part of me that says, well, it was kind of your own fault. I mean, maybe it just wasn't time. I don't know. But he didn't, he didn't, Tell them and claim and, and proclaim that he was a Roman citizen. And well, see, there's yeah, there's a reason for everything, right? Yeah. Well, I wonder if he could get a higher audience if he was wrong as a Roman citizen. Yeah. And then you get the attention of the higher-ranking Romans instead of just the lower rank. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if that was. Yeah, I mean, when you when you read Paul, you wouldn't put it past him to be thinking ahead like that, and be thinking, okay, I will endure this because this will get me here, and I can have a have a bigger, better audience because of it. Yeah, I mean, because because he's always thinking, he's always thinking, how do I increase Christ? And if that's a way to increase Christ, he's going to endure it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, he just went out there in, in the beginning and just said, you know, wait, whoa, we can't do nothing to me. I'm a Roman citizen, and that would have been that would have been that, you know. And might even some of the Jews who were there to listen to him 
you know, they might have not listened to anything at that point. Wait a minute. Yeah. You are you are correct. You are correct. Oh wow, it's ten forty three. I didn't realize I talked that much today. Um, well, I don't even know where I left off. Uh, okay, he brought them up into his house and set at verse thirty four. Um, then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We're going to stop right there, but I am going to point out something. Um, I was reading um, the study notes in ESV, I think it was, or it might have been, I don't know, I read every three or four different things on this as references, but they pointed out that the Greek word here that means rejoiced is only used to describe a deep spiritual experience of joy. It's never used just to relate happiness or just to, you know, just, just a, like a, a common daily um, d- description of how you feel. This was a deeply spiritual joy that was like no other that they had experienced. And so I, I want us to just note that as we close today, that going through this process, and, and uh, go back to what you said, Jamie, it's the, that's the power. His life was literally changed and he felt a deeply, deeply spiritual feeling of joy that changed his life. And it's, it, it's just a great thing to realize what came out of these instances that were all orchestrated to come back around to this point. So next week we will, we will talk about... Um, they're proclaiming to be Roman citizens. We will talk about um, what, how they left town and what took place there. And then we'll also get into uh, Paul and Silas in Thessalonica and see where that all takes us. So any closing comments or questions? Mary, thank you for that. I don't know that I had ever heard that about 40, 40 stripes, um, where that had come from. I, I, I totally have missed that. Yeah. See, that's why you all are here. Mary and I need you. <laughs> Rest of you don't, you don't need them at all. It's just us two. <clears throat> all right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close then today. Um, Brad, would you close for us? Okay. Well, thank you for this uh, day. Thank you for us.
Do you have kind of chemotherapy and things she's going to be going through? I know this isn't uh, new to her work, but uh, you are her child. She is your child. Thank you.